0: Good morning, church. Um, it's quite a long reading. It's Hebrews 7, so I'm just warning you. I'm going to put my best Russian accent for you. So, but do, do um, open it up in your, on your phones or on your, in your Bibles, because it'll be easier to follow. So it's Hebrews chapter 7, and um, a couple of verses of chapter 8 as well. So, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. He met Abraham, returning from the defeat of the kings, and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name means King of Righteousness, then also King of Salem means King of Peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of his plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that's their brothers, even though their brothers are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt the lesser person, is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people. Why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when there is a change of the priesthood, there must also be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said, belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah and in regard to that tribe Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life, for it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever because of this oath jesus has come become the guarantee of a better covenant now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office but because jesus lives forever he has a permanent priesthood therefore he is able to save completely those who come to god through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself for the law appoints as high priests men who are weak but the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever the point of what we are saying is this we do have such a high priest Who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary the true tabernacle set up by the lord not by man let's pray thank you lord that you are holy set apart you are Um, majestic Lord you're the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we worship you this morning we thank you for the privilege of calling you our father we thank you for the privilege that because of Jesus we can come into the Holy of Holies even this morning just as we are Lord we thank you for the promise that when we draw close to you you draw close to us Lord would you draw close to us as we Prepare our hearts, our ears to hear what you want us to hear this morning. And Lord, we pray for Jacob, and we pray that you will speak through him, Lord, very clearly, that we will know um, what what we are reading about, what it all means. Lord, reveal your word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (laughs)
1: Good morning, Church. Uh, just you've heard uh, today's passages with beautiful Russian accent. Now you are here, awful Korean accent, to preach today's wonderful passages. Let me begin with the story of my dream. To be honest, I don't tend to dream when I sleep, or I don't remember my dreams And also, I usually don't talk about my dreams much. Ironically, this morning, I'm starting my talk with a dream, which I had some weeks ago, as a dream has something to do with today's talk. In the dream, I was sleeping on my bed. Suddenly, there were a big hole in the ceiling and something dropped on my bed and my face. Although I was half awake in the dream, I cleaned up the dirt on my face and my bed and put it in the bin. It was like mice poo. It was so disgusting, but I knew I needed to remove all the dirt. Finally, I cleaned it all up. I looked up at the hole in the ceiling and inspected the room for more dirt. Again, there was dirt around the hole, so I removed it completely. Still in the dream, I went to the next room to get more sleep. Before getting to sleep, I felt there was about to be another big hole in the ceiling, and there was. Looking into the hole carefully, I found a big group of dirty wombs. I brought cleaning tools and pesticides into the room and killed them with fire and sprays. Then I woke up from the dream, and my heart was pounding due to the horrific feelings regarding the dirt in the dream. In the middle of the night, I immediately repented as I sensed that the dirt in my dream was about my sin that I'd been trying to tackle. I'd been challenged recently by my reading and prayer, but kept failing to resist, and consequently, that gave me agony and frustration. I wonder if you have the same struggle as me, fighting against your flesh and particular sins. I want to do what is good, but I found myself keeping on doing what is wrong, which I don't want to do. The more I read the Bible, the more the struggle gets serious. When the conviction about my sins gets stronger, the grace of the Lord becomes more real and abundant to me. But even so, it is still a hard situation which I will need to go through until at last I see the Lord. If you are in the same journey as me, today's message in Hebrews would be very, very good news to you. There is a lot of in-depth content in today's chapter 7, But this morning, I hope to focus on the great conclusive verse, verse 25, dealing with the main points of chapter 7. Shall we read it all together? Therefore... The verse is talking about Jesus' saving work. What does salvation mean? The meaning of the word salvation itself contains direction. From what does Jesus save people? Yes, simply and fundamentally, Jesus' saving work is about rescuing us from our sins and its consequences. Sin is not a minor topic in the Bible. Separating us from sin and sins is God's major concern. More than the problems of our failing health, financial press, or troubled relationship in the world, the matter of sin or the matter of holiness is the major priority in God's saving work. We might all remember the basic three stages of salvation from the Romans series. God's saving work is all about separating us from sin all through stages of our lives until we are perfectly sin-free when we will be glorified. Why is the state of being sin-free, holiness, so important to God? It is because when we are in sin, it is impossible for us to be united with a holy God. So God, that is the Trinity, works together to make us holy for our complete salvation from sin. Apart from God and the Holy Spirit, verse 25 is talking about Jesus' saving work. Actually, Jesus saves us with his three offices, our king, our prophet, and our priest. The book of Hebrews is about Jesus. Hebrews particularly reveals Jesus' saving work regarding his third office as high priest. In fact, the book of Hebrews is the only book that directly calls Jesus the high priest in the Bible. This is not an easy book, but when we read it carefully, we can see how Jesus saves namely separates us from sin in his role of high priest. Let's move to the next word in verse 25. Therefore, this word means it concludes what has been said before regarding Christ's priesthood. Before we get into chapter 7, let's first recall the background of the book of Hebrews. The first readers of Hebrews would be Jews who had converted to Christianity from Judaism, but were having persecution from other Jews for their faith and were under threat and temptation to betray their faith and come back to Judaism, which was about the Old Testament laws. Going back to Judaism meant they still believed God, but refused the truth about Jesus. That is why the unknown writer of Hebrews is explaining about Jesus in detail for this first readers from this background chapter 1 to 6 talk about Jesus' superiority the right proves that using the evidences based upon the old testament prophecies which would be very familiar to the jews it says that firstly Jesus was superior to the angels who certain Jews in those days worshipped. And secondly, that Jesus was greater than Moses, who was the hero to all the old law-keeping Jews. And lastly, that Jesus was better than the human priest who served according to all the old covenant rules. In this context, chapter 7, today's chapter, majors on the last point, The writings explain more about Jesus' distinctive quality and work as the high priest in comparison to the Old Testament priests of the tribe of Levi. Now let me ask you, why is it important that Jesus was a much better and superior priest than human priests? What was priest's role generally, and how different were they? Priests are mediators. They help God's people to draw near to God. What would happen if people approached God closely without a mediator? The Bible says that no one would survive when they see God because of our sin. God is a covenantal God, so when we approach God, following the rules of the covenant with the help of a mediator, it is possible for us to draw near to God. Sinners cannot go to God unless God makes a way. So God introduced the mediator. The priest's role was bringing the sinners to God, helping them to avoid curses and punishment caused by their sins, and to satisfy the wrath of God by sacrificing animals as a substitute. However, chapter seven points out the human priests were not perfect in doing this mediating role due to their own sinfulness, their own mortality, limits of the sacrificial animals, and the temporary function of the old laws and covenant. They were only symbols that would make them feel the need of a perfect priesthood to get close to God completely. The change of priesthood from a man to Jesus also meant the need to a change of the law and covenant from the old to the new. In this respect, chapter 7 teaches that it is Jesus who is the better and perfect high priest forever, who is in order of God's priest Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron and who also is the priest appointed by God's oath, which made Jesus as the guarantor of a better covenant with new laws. Now we can understand the conclusive verse 25 better. Therefore, in this context, Jesus can save us completely, all those who draw near to God through him. For understanding verse 25 there is another word we should notice the connective word because the word shows that because of this part after the word because jesus can save us completely it means jesus saving work is dependent on this work which is a part of Jesus' job description As high priest. What is the job of the high priest? In other words, how is Jesus able to save us completely? How does Jesus make us holy, separate from sin? Yes, by his eternal intercession for us. He can save us from sin completely because of Jesus' eternal priestly role in heaven, the book of Hebrews has a nickname, the fifth gospel. What does it mean? What are the four gospel books in the New Testament?
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We normally call the four books gospel books, which describe what Jesus did to save us when Jesus was on earth. However, the book of Hebrews talks about Jesus' saving work after his resurrection and ascension too. It means that his saving work was not finished whilst on earth. It it, uh, It is saying that Jesus is doing his saving job continuously in heaven at the right hand of the throne of God by always praying. That is why the book is called the fifth gospel. That what might be or what might he be praying to God for us. Shall we read the cross reference to this verse altogether? Who then is the one? Thanks. This passage is all about lawful expression. No one can condemn us. In other words, no one can claim in the court of heaven that we should have God's wrath and consequent punishment because of our sins. Because of Jesus who died and was resurrected is at oh, an authoritative place in heaven and is also interceding for us on the matter of our sin now. Shall we read the verse uh, next verse altogether. My dear children. This verse is from 1 John. Then, who are the dear children of the Apostle John who were getting his letter? Are they Christians or not? Yes. Just 50%. (laughs) Yes or no? (laughs) Yes, they are Christians. Therefore, we can understand that John is writing this letter to his spiritual children for them not to sin. He wrote this on the basis that they can still sin even though they were justified as long as they lived in their lowly body. While waiting to be redeemed completely, they can still be tempted by evil and commit sin. So the Apostle John is reminding them of this. If any Christian who is struggling with sin and failing to resist the flesh and temptation Remember, we have Jesus Christ as our advocate who is interceding on the matter of our sin before the Father. We can get some ideas about the content of Jesus' intercession by observing how Jesus prayed on earth. Shall we look at the prayer in John 17, which Jesus prayed to God before his cross, which is called Jesus' high priestly prayer? Shall we read them all together? I do not ask them. that very critical moment, just before the crucifixion, Jesus prayed for things that really matter. Just before his death, Jesus prayed about the matter of the disciples' sanctification in the truth of God's word. The following context shows that it was not only for the disciples, but also for us now. The matter of Sin, the holiness of his disciples then and now, which includes us, was what Jesus really cared about. Do you remember Jesus' other prayer for the Peter? Shall we read it all together? Simon, Simon. Simon. Knowing that Peter would betray him, despite Jesus' warning for the need of prayer, not to fall into temptation, Jesus had interceded beforehand for Peter. Again, we can see that in the important moment before the crucifixion, Jesus prayed to God for his disciples' faith, not to fail after sinning. We are justified from eternal punishment towards sin, but we are still in the process of salvation, of being sanctified. Jesus knows our dilemma and struggle and weakness to sin. Jesus would pray in this manner on the throne as an eternal reminder to God when we sin. God, the Father, I paid it all. I paid it all. My sacrifice is for their eternal holiness. Please sanctify them in truth while they are on earth. Help them to be free from sins. Inspire them to desire to be holy until they are perfectly holy with us the first receivers of this letter were at a crisis point to betray Jesus and to drift away from the truth. We would think their faith must be so weak and fragile to fail so easily. However, according to the verses on the screen, it is not true. After receiving the truth, They experienced insult and public persecution. They suffered along with those in prison for their faith. They even lost their possessions for their faith, but they still endured through it all. The faith was so strong, but later they were in danger of drifting away from the truth. Are we safe from drifting away from our faith? What kind of challenges are tempting us to sin and to drift away from our faith? Is it about a doctrinal issue? Is it about persecution? Or is it about pleasure or a worry? What kind of sin is making us fail to be holy and to be closer to God? The writer of Hebrews urges us to resist the sin to the point of shedding our blood. Also, he encourages us to hold to the truth about Jesus as our high priest. Jesus wants us to know that we have him as such a high priest. There is a part I have not told you about the dream I mentioned earlier. Actually, there was someone very holy in the dream who represented the Lord to me. Although all through the course of cleaning all the mess, the person was with me, helping me quietly and gently until I finished cleaning all the dirt. I was studying Hebrews around the time I had the dream. The message about such a high priest was a great answer to my struggle against my flesh and sin. The learning and reminder of such a high priest in preparation of this sermon benefited me a great deal. Probably as I was so into the high priest, I would have such a dream as a confirmation. After waking up from the dream, I repented about the sin I was struggled with, and finally, peace rested in my mind. I felt that I would overcome the struggle soon by the grace of the Holy Lord, who is interceding for me to overcome my sin and turn away from it. If anyone here is not a Christian yet, I hope you will believe in Jesus, our High Priest. Only through Him you can go to God and not die in your sins. Church, whenever we sin and fail, let's remember that we have such a high priest. He who has been tempted in every way on earth emphasizes with our weaknesses to sin and the temptation. Let's approach God with confidence in Jesus in the time of our need and the struggle to sin. Before the sermon, Martha, uh said about, I'm going to talk about Melchizedek much. But probably next time, if I have any chance, I may more explain about him. But remember, we have the high priest. He intercedes for us just next to our father.